The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Miami, Florida, and here is your top five at five. Stocks may fall again today as investors brace for more earnings and potentially more cut guidance. The Fed kicking off its big July meeting. Just how much will the central bank raise rates? Former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson is here. Stocks may get hit as inflation hits Walmart. It cut its outlook. Inflation begins to hit the American shopper. Putin playing games again. Europe's energy crisis about to get even more dire as Russia slows the gas tap. Later on, break out the moving vans. Americans are getting ready to pack up and get out. These seven cities will show you where they really want to go. It's all happening on this Tuesday, July 26th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brad Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. And stock futures, they are lower across the board. Dow futures down over 100 points right now. Walmart is going to be a big part, maybe the part, of the story today. Shares are losing nearly 9% after it cut guidance. By the way, that would be a market cap loss of about $20 billion. We'll get much more on Walmart coming up. All this coming off one of the flattest days that we have seen for stocks in a while. The average is barely moving on Monday. No surprise there. We got the Fed decision tomorrow. Another batch of earnings out today, including McDonald's, Google, UPS, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, and more. Wow, big day, big week overall. Stocks trying to hold on to gains for the month of July. We're actually up about 5% this month. We're actually on pace for our best month since all the way back in October. A few days to go. Don't want to jinx it. No broadcaster curse. But right now, we're up about 5%. In bonds, the 10-year yield is sitting right around 2.8%. With the recent drop, that takes us back to the levels of mid-April. Hard to believe, but true. Bonds, of course, not going to make a move until the Fed makes its move on its interest rate decision tomorrow. In oil, crude is on the move. It is creeping back toward $100 a barrel. All that as global demand remains strong and supplies remain tight. Natural gas also on the rise. Look at that. It is back near $9. That is on some new Nord Stream news, which we will get to in just a moment. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether, both lower by about 3 and 4%, by the way. One of our favorite guests, Mark Yusko, is coming up in a few minutes. We'll talk more about these markets and crypto in particular. Right now, though, let's get a check on the action overseas along with some key morning headlines. Juliana Tadabam, what is happening in Europe? 
Brian, good morning. Well, it's a mixed picture so far for European trade. We've got a number of key corporates in focus as earnings season gets underway here in the region. In terms of the regional breakdown, we've got red for the most part. A little bit of outperformance for the FTSE 100 here in the UK. We are seeing particularly strong performance for the oil and gas names this morning. As you mentioned, energy prices on the rise. So we're seeing the oil majors move in lockstep. Also, Unilever performing quite well. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to highlight one of the key movers to the downside. That is UBS. Shares in the bank are trading sharply lower this morning after the Swiss lender posted a second quarter net profit of $2.1 billion. That was up 5% year on year, but below analyst forecasts. Its wealth management and investment banking division saw falling client activity on the back of the global market downturn, and shares are down nearly 6% as a result. On the flip side, we've got a little bit of green on the board for Unilever in the consumer goods space. Uh, Unilever has raised its sales guidance for the full year after first half sales jumped 8.1%. That was ahead of expectations. The consumer goods firm is hiking prices to counter soaring costs. Unilever also raised their sales guidance for the year. And as a result, Unilever shares are trading nearly 3% higher, one of the best performers in the market so far this morning. Brian, back over to you. All right. Well, we appreciate you leaving a little green on the screen for us there, Juliana. Thank you very much. All right. Back home, meantime, your top story of the day is going to be Walmart. It cut its quarterly and full-year profit outlook. Inflation beginning to rock the American shopper. Contessa Brewer is here with more on what is going to be a big story today. Contessa. Hi there, Brian. Shares of Walmart getting crushed right now. Down nearly, uh, as you can say, we'll look at this, almost 9%. Uh, in the early trade. It's cutting its quarterly and full-year profit outlook. It says inflation is causing core shoppers to spend more on essentials like food and less on clothing, electronics, and other items that have more favorable, wider margins. Walmart now sees adjusted second quarter earnings falling 8 to 9% year-on-year. The street estimates, Brian, called for 1.6% growth. The lower demand for general merchandise is also forcing Walmart to resort to more markdowns to try and get rid of unwanted inventory. Again, that lowers margins because of more discounting. Management says it expects to see, quote, more pressure on general merchandise in the back half of the year. Now, if the pre-market action in Walmart holds, it will shave about 80 points from the Dow at the open. Walmart stock has fallen 8% or more only eight other times in the past 22 years. Last time in May, on the back of its last earnings report, when Walmart sank more than 11%, its biggest drop since the year 2000. Walmart's weakness is being felt across the retail space. It's also sending shares of Amazon, Target, and others lower in the pre-market trade, as you can see there. Look at, uh, you've got Target down almost 5% already this morning, Brian. Well, I'll tell you what, they've got 2.8 billion shares outstanding. So every dollar move is 2.8 billion. So we're looking at maybe more than 20 billion in market cap. Contessa, I was at the grocery store again yesterday. I don't know about you. I know you're a working mom. You go to the store at this point, it's basically $100 a bag, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you buy. There's sticker shock every time you check out. Yeah, it's, I mean, filling up your gas tank, it, you, you know that when it's being felt across demographics, that the inflation has really hit home, and that's what Walmart is reporting. I'm online looking for a used Renault LeCar, small gas tank, 40 miles a gallon. Who's, who knows? Contestant, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Right now, we got some breaking news out of Washington around crypto and taxes. Lon Moy is here with more on what is happening. 
Alon, what is happening? Well, good morning, Brian. A bipartisan pair of senators is introducing a new bill today that would allow consumers to buy things with crypto without having to worry about capital gains tax. Now, this proposal comes from Republican Senator Pat Toomey and Democrat Kirsten Sinema. The goal is to encourage public adoption of cryptocurrency by making it easier to conduct everyday purchases. Right now, if you buy something with Bitcoin, even just a cup of coffee, you could technically owe the IRS capital gains tax on the crypto that you used. The Virtual Currency Tax Fairness Act would exempt transactions of less than $50 from that requirement. Now, several key industry groups support this idea. Coin Center Executive Director Jerry Brito said he also hoped this bill would expand the development of the blockchain infrastructure. Quote, cryptocurrency needs the same exemption for small personal transactions that we have for foreign currency. This would foster use of crypto for retail payments, subscription services, as well as microtransactions. Now, Congress has been discussing a slew of crypto legislation over the past few months amid all that market volatility. As of yet, none of it has gone very far, though. A bill that would have regulated stable coins that the House had hoped to formally debate this week, that's been punted until after summer recess. So, Brian, we'll see how much momentum this new crypto tax bill picks up. But it is clear that Congress has its eyes on the industry. Back over to you. All right. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. We know that a lot of people have been abusing taxes. Like, it's just kind of kind of a thing. Is there anything in this bill that makes sure to safeguard the fact that people are not going to abuse this like they have so many other uh, good-natured government programs like the PPP loans? (laughs) Yeah, everybody wants to look for a loophole, right, Brian? So one thing that the lawmakers considered was the possibility that someone might try to hide a large gain in crypto by making a bunch of small transactions. So instead of having a $500 transaction, you might run $10.50 transactions in order to avoid that capital gains tax. Under this bill, that would be considered one event. That $500 transaction would be considered one event, and therefore you would still owe capital gains tax on this. The real idea here is to allow people who are using cryptocurrency as a currency and a method of payment not to have to worry about the IRS coming Mm. after them or worry about filing a bunch of annoying paperwork at the end of the year. I know, and I know you called it a cryptocurrency. It's labeled a cryptocurrency on CNBC's website. I just, is it a currency, Elon? I can't see it. Would you buy something with Bitcoin? That, that is the, that's the debate. That's the debate right now, Brian. And so for the use case of those small dollar retail payments, people who are using it that way, this is a tax break that uh, they can take advantage of so they don't have to worry about things. But if you're trying to use it as an yeah. investable asset, you can't hide your yeah. capital gains. Um, by doing these small Again, dollar transactions. If, if, if you're a long-term holder, maybe you buy a second yacht. You bought your first yacht with your PPP loan. You bought your second <laughs> yacht with your crypto gains. Elon Boy, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, we are just getting started on this testy Tuesday. And we come back, we're going to get more on that with crypto. Mark Yusko is here. We'll react to that DC news. Why he says time to trade in the ski jacket for some shades. Because the crypto winter is over. Plus, the Fed's road ahead and what investors should expect from Jay Powell and company tomorrow. Former Federal Reserve Governor Roger Ferguson is here. Happy to have him on. Later, much more on Walmart with retail guru Stacey Widlitz. Her take on the warning, the stock, and where the American shopper is headed. 
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. All right, welcome, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Looks like stocks could come under pressure again today with Walmart's inflation-fueled profit warning. All this ahead of the Fed's two-day policy meeting begins today. The rate call will come out tomorrow. Plus, the stream of earnings reports is not letting up. We're going to hear from several heavyweights today like 3M, Coca-Cola, General Motors, McDonald's, UPS, Alphabet, and Microsoft. I feel like I just went through the alphabet. All this as crypto may get a boost on the DC news that Elon just gave you about eliminating capital gains on Bitcoin and others when you buy something. Let's talk about 20 minutes of news in four minutes. Joining us is Mark Yusko, CEO and CIO at Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, I got to imagine that you would like that bill in D.C. eliminating capital gains from crypto purchases, no? Absolutely, Sully, and, and thanks for having me on the show this morning um, or this afternoon in, in Europe. And uh, look, I think it's always been a really interesting debate of, of trying to uh, call capital gains on small transactions something that the IRS should spend time on. So I think the bill is, is really smart, and uh, hopefully it'll make its way through that, the House and, and the Senate. Is it a currency? I mean, would you buy, Mark, would you, you've probably made a lot of money in crypto, but it, would you buy a pizza like the first guy did so famously now in 2010 or whatever it was? Would you buy a pizza with crypto? You know, I, Brian, I think that um, Bitcoin today in particular is is really more currency the way gold is currency. You don't walk around with gold bars in your pocket or gold coins in your pocket. Uh, I think the same thing with Bitcoin. The the average hodler or holder of, of Bitcoin is going to use it as a store of value. But what is really the currency aspect of it is the payment rail itself. You know, it's a technology. The blockchain is a technology that's going to allow us to migrate from these 70, 80, 90 year old technologies like Fedwire and ACH. And then it'll have more of a, of a currency element. But you're right. The, the average holder of Bitcoin today isn't going to spend their Bitcoin for coffee or or donuts. Yeah, I mean, if I believe that Bitcoin is going to $100,000, I'm not saying I do, but let's say I do believe that Bitcoin's going 100000 I own a bunch and I've made a lot of money. Why would I buy anything? Because I've effectively then, if it does go to 100000 I've just overpaid by 400%. I just, I'm trying to figure out if we need a new name than currency. Yeah, it, it's a really good point, Brian. And, and I think the, the real issue here is, uh, store value versus medium of exchange. And there are other cryptocurrencies beyond Bitcoin that 
do a really good job as medium exchange. Dash, for example, heavily used in, in places like Venezuela. And I think each technology will find its own natural use case. I think Bitcoin today is, is a really good store yeah. of value. But ultimately, as it crowds out the bad money, one of the challenges of our monetary system globally is it can be devalued at a whim by central banks. And that's been going on for decades. And you think about how much uh, inflation that everybody talks about. Well, it's really not inflation the way we think about it when you and I were growing up in the 70s, where there was excess demand, lots of boomers buying houses, having us, our, our you know, kids. And today it's, it's basically currency devaluation. The global central banks have printed so much currency that it's not worth as much as it used to be. So having a deflationary asset like Bitcoin is essential yeah. for investors. And, and I re listen, I respect everybody on the Fed. They're all incredibly intelligent. They're very successful, obviously. I think they all do care. But looking for the Fed to get us out of this situation is kind of like looking at the arsonist to put out the fire, is it not? At least that's my view, which is you know, overstimulated. They misread consumer demand massively, probably because no one got out of D.C. I know you go to Oklahoma, Mark. If anybody in Congress or the Fed actually got out of D.C., they would realize that half the country either didn't lock down or locked down for a short period of time. Kids were in schools and kind of business was almost as usual. Not everything shut down for two years like in Washington, but yet they stimulated like that was the case. Rant over. Do you think that the Fed is going to be able to solve I'm doing air quotes, the inflation problem. You know, as, as always, this is why I love getting up early and starting the day with you. Uh, just brilliant analysis there. And, you know, you think about what the Fed did, uh, particularly in, in creating 50 percent, half of all the dollars in the history of the republic, 256 years, half of them created in the last two years. Absolute madness. And, and to your exact point, uh, the the stimulus was ill-timed, uh, and it won't fix, taking that liquidity away will not fix the problems. How many rate hikes are going to change global supply chain problems? How many rate hikes are going to change the price of oil and gas? How many rate hikes are going to fix the price of wheat? That is not what's causing the problems that we're seeing uh, with prices around the world for the average consumer. And so all this jawboning about interest rates, they made a mistake. They made a massive policy error by uh, overstimulating, keeping emergency rates for too long to bail out the banks. And now they're paying the, the piper and they can jawbone all they want. But all they're going to do is cut off confidence and demand. We have consumer confidence at the lowest. I think it's been in 70 plus years and global economic growth is slowing. We're going to have a negative GDP print uh, in a couple of days. And the you know, White House now is trying to convince us that two consecutive yeah. quarters of GDP is not a recession. That is a fact, right? NBER decides when it's a recession. We're in a recession. How deep that recession goes depends on how the Fed uh, continues on this mandate of raising rates. Yeah, isn't that nice? They're trying to literally change the definition of recession. We'll talk about that with Roger Ferguson in just a minute. And, you know, Mark, if, if I'm factually wrong, on, on the air, I have to go back on and issue a correction. Wouldn't it be nice if the Fed or members of Congress said, you know what, we got it wrong, we screwed up, we thought everything was gonna get shut down, we didn't realize people were gonna spend money, we're sorry, we blew it, 
Apologies go a long way. Mark Yusko, appreciate the compliment. Appreciate you getting up early. Always, Mark. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. All right, you're very welcome. Wouldn't that be nice to say, you know what? We didn't we got it wrong. We misread it. It's okay. All right, still on deck. Walmart, not the only one facing a second quarter slowdown. The other company slashing earnings estimate for the year. That name revealed ahead. Plus, it is not just shopping. Why shares of one airline are also down right now. Your big money movers are coming up. Stick around. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Let's hit some big money movers. Whirlpool reporting a second quarter loss, but primarily because of the sale of its Russia business. Adjusted earnings actually beat forecasts despite rising costs and a slowdown in demand. Sales did miss estimates. Company also cutting guidance for the year. Whirlpool shares are actually a little higher right now. Stock two, NXP Semiconductor. Revenues beating forecasts in the second quarter. It's also cutting third quarter sales and gross margin above. Analyst estimates say they've got still strong demand for chips used in automobiles and things like connected devices. NXP generates about half its sales from the auto industry stock down about 2.5%. And stock three, it's what we referenced, Allegiant Airlines. The budget airline slashing its profit outlook for the second quarter, blaming higher costs like fuel. Allegiant paying $4.32 a gallon for fuel in the quarter. And planes consume $9 million worth of extra fuel Allegiant blames that on hauling more passengers per flight, which makes planes heavier, more people, more fuel, more weight. That stock is down 18% right now. Is that a bad harbinger or is it just harbinger? Could it be a bad harbinger or is a harbinger necessarily bad? Either way, not good for airline stocks today. All right ahead. While the SEC is reportedly taking a closer look at Coinbase and what it calls some questionable securities. We're back with that right after this. Dow features off 120. Earnings and the Fed under the microscope for the markets. The central bank expected to keep the rate hikes rolling with its latest meeting. Former Fed Governor Roger Ferguson is here to weigh in. The discretionary spending dilemma. Shares of Walmart down 9% right now and likely to take the rest of retail with it. A new warning around the glory impact of inflation on the American shopper. And Russia launching a new offensive in the energy war with Europe. Likely to cut gas flows on the Nord Stream pipeline again just days after going back online. It is Tuesday, July 26th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. 
All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Get right to it. Kick off the half hour with a check on the markets and your money futures. They are down right now, although Dow futures off 130. It's not as bad as you might expect, given the Walmart news. Walmart is going to be a massive drag on the markets today because they cut their guidance. The stock is down 9%, one of the biggest drops it's seen in 20 years. Walmart, so the fact the Dow components are only down 132 Actually, a little shocking given that Walmart news, but they are off about that much. And crude oil, by the way, is higher. It's back ticking toward $100 a barrel. In fact, it's higher right now by about 2%, up a buck seventy to $98.40. We're also seeing the price of natural gas continue to rise. It is nearing $9 per million BTU, up 2% on hot weather around the United States at increased demand. Speaking of, by the way, energy, we got to get to this. Um, and natural gas. And tomorrow could be another tough day for Germany and for Europe because Wednesday, Gazprom is going to slow down natural gas flows to Germany through that Nord Stream pipeline that we've been talking so much about. The company is blaming maintenance around the turbine that we were talking about last week, which the German government, by the way, is disputing, saying that the turbine has nothing to do with full operation of that pipeline, but still Russia is using that as an excuse. Now, according to Gazprom, they're going to dial back flows to just 20% of capacity. They're at 40, so that's a 50% drop from where they restarted it last week. And this, of course, means that Germany is likely not going to have enough gas coming in to fill storage and use what they're using now. No word on how long this further slowdown may last, days, week, months, but it is just another sign of Vladimir Putin using energy as an economic weapon. By the way, keep that board up. That is what they call Dutch TTF natural gas futures. That is spot natural gas in Europe. Now, it's a little confusing. That is priced in euros per megawatt hour. Right now, it's at 193. And in fact, every contract through December is around 190. But what does that mean? All right, if you do the conversion from megawatt hour to euro back to sort of how we price natural gas, that is the equivalent of about 53 U.S. dollars per contract. You, we just showed you our contract at $8.90. Their spot market, $53. Exact same product, exact same use, and they are paying $53. we are paying 9 We're very lucky to live in America right now. All right, back here on Wall Street, the Federal Reserve kicking off its latest two-day policy meeting today with Wall Street expecting a second rate, second straight, maybe second rate, who knows, 75 basis point hike. That's three quarters of 1%. All this coming as investor expectations for a recession rise, and according to the latest CNBC Fed survey. In it, 55% of respondents now expect a recession in the next year, up a record 20 points from our May survey. On average, the recession is forecast to begin in December of this year, eight months earlier than the prior survey. Joining us now is former Federal Reserve Vice Chairman and former TIAA CEO Roger Ferguson, also a CNBC contributor. Super happy to have him on the show. Super important time. Roger, great to see you. Uh, What is your expectation for not only the meeting in terms of what they do with rates, but for their guidance and possible dissenters? Well, thanks very much. A pleasure to be here. Uh, like most of the market, I expect them to move about 75 basis points. 
uh, that would be you know, not very surprising. That's what's been signaled. You put your finger on two questions that are open in my mind. One is, are there going to be uh, any dissents? We've heard uh, a couple of uh, one of the governors, uh, Governor Waller, one of the presidents, President Bullard, occasionally mulling about the possibility of a four percentage point, 100 basis point move. We'll see if uh, one or both of them dissent in that direction. There's a possibility, given the evidence that the economy is slowing somewhat, that we might get perhaps one of the presidents saying, wait a minute, maybe 50 basis points would have been better. So I'm watching to see if there are dissents, and I would expect there might be you know, at least one uh, uh, coming forward in one of those directions. Uh, vis-a-vis forward guidance, I think they're going to uh, observe, probably keep using the word ongoing or continuing in terms of rate increases. I think it's much too early for them to signal that they're slowing or taking a, that they're taking a pause. And then we'll have to listen closely to hear what uh, Chair Powell has to say in the press conference. I doubt if he's going to put too many numbers out there, as that has proven to be uh, difficult. Uh, but I think he'll try to give some hint of uh, the future for sure. So those are some of the elements I'm looking at. If Okay, if we get a dissent or two, Roger, would that signal to you that, that maybe this, this Fed pivot toward a slowdown in hikes may be closer than we think? Because don't rate hikes take time to work through the economy? They, they take, it's not an immediate reaction. Well, exactly right. Monetary policy, as we say, works with uh, long and variable lags, is the phrase in the, in the business. Uh, a descent towards, let's say, 50 basis points would suggest that they not only had that conversation, but at least one and potentially more than one of the voters thought that was uh, the right move. So it might signal to the markets uh, perhaps you know, the next move in September more likely to be 50 basis points than 75. Remember, I think mostly the attention is going to be on the next move, um, you know, since this 75 is well baked in. And I think there the debate's going to start to emerge, um, depending on the sense and incoming data. 75 basis points, 50 basis points perhaps will be discussed uh, for that meeting. So I think the dissent question is really going to drive, you know, the debate about what's happening in September. We look at the commodity markets, Roger. We look at that Walmart guidance cut today. Do you believe that inflation is already starting to come down? It may be coming down slightly, but it's one thing to say perhaps inflation is coming down. It's another thing altogether to say that it's rapidly approaching the Fed's 2% target. Remember the last time uh, that he spoke about this or a few meetings back, uh, Chair Powell, I, I think, used the word clear and convincing evidence. Um, I'm not sure we're there yet. And so while I hear people talking about peak inflation, you know, that's only to say the next print may be slightly lower than the eye-popping 9.1% we saw most recently. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't get too excited yet that uh, we're out of the woods on the inflation fight uh, because I think we're nowhere near yet the clear and convincing evidence of that 2% uh, target that the Fed is aiming towards. You know, really the hot story, I think, yesterday, Roger, was that the White House is out in advance of what is likely going to be a pretty nasty GDP print, and we may indicate that we're dropping for the second quarter, which would technically indicate that we are in a recession. The White House is out sort of, you know, working the Sunday talk shows, trying to change the definition of a recession. Do you agree with that? Is recession more of kind of a mushy 
definition that we may say, or should it be fixed to that NBER, two consecutive quarters of declining growth definition? Well, um, the complexity here is that the NBER actually has a committee that decides on recessions. Uh, they look at things such as you know depth, uh, breadth, and duration. Um, and when you go and look at their website, they actually say they have not formally adopted that two-quarter number. What they say is that often recessions have been characterized by a couple of quarters of negative growth, but they emphasize that we had the most recent recession call they had, which was at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, that recession that they um, uh, judged uh, lasted, you know, far less than two quarters. And there are a few others in history, and that's been the case. So I think they're going to be looking at, you know, unemployment rates, for example, uh, looking at what happened with wages. Uh, so I think um, we may see a second quarter print that's negative, uh, but I think the NBER will be reluctant to declare uh, that as a recession. So we'll continue to have this debate. This is an interesting and important time to you know, educate people on something that's actually fairly nuanced, uh, and we always have to wait to see if the NBER actually calls you know, a recession. So I understand what the White House is doing and yeah. others. It's a bit of uh, education going on here about something that's so complex. Well, to your point, Roger, maybe it is a good thing. They came out, they took some heat for it, but it does spark this kind of debate where we can actually teach people what it actually means. So it's, in that way, perhaps a positive. Roger Ferguson, really a pleasure to have you on Worldwide Exchange. I know it's early, Roger. We really appreciate and value your views. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, now to your morning's top story, and that is Walmart. We just referenced it. The stock is getting hammered down 9%. It cut its quarterly and full-year profit guidance. Walmart's saying that inflation is causing shoppers to spend more on narrow-margin necessities like food and less on discretionary items like clothing and electronics. Walmart's saying it will cut prices on items more aggressively than it previously said it would back in May Try to reduce an inventory backlog. The news dragging other retail stocks down as well. Let's bring in now Stacey Widlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors. Stacey, if Walmart does not have pricing power, who does? You know, Brian, it's it's where there's smoke, there's fire here. And Target guided down very, you know, only a couple weeks after they reported earnings. And Walmart's following here, and I think the in the inflation impact on the consumer, companies just simply did not appreciate here. You know, consumers are going into the grocery store and paying 9, 10 plus percent more for basics, and they're not spending on discretionary at this point. And you're seeing that across the board. I mean, you look at, we monitor about 80 companies in U.S. and Europe, and less than 10 percent of them don't have higher promotions versus last year or even versus 2019 at this very point. Yeah, we're showing right now on our screen, Stacey, Target stock down 4.5%, Costco down about 2.5%, Amazon down over 3%. Is that fair? I know the market's not fair. I hate that term. But do you think this could be a Walmart problem or is Walmart more likely that canary in the consumer coal mine? Well, it's never just a Walmart problem because Walmart is the consumer, but you do have to kind of divvy it up and say, okay, this is a lower income consumer. Um, They're spending more on food, which is lower margin. By the way, Walmart raised their comp guidance because of inflation, but 
lowered their earnings, you know, they're going to be down high single digits versus expectations of flat earnings growth for Q2. So I think, you know, Walmart is absolutely a reflection of the consumer across the board and Target, while it's slightly higher income, is feeling the same impact. And they told us that weeks ago, Bath and Body Works just told us last week that they're seeing the consumer come in. So it's it's absolutely across the board. When you're stealing more money from the wallet to put food in the refrigerator, and something else has to go. And that's exactly what we're yeah. seeing from body care to consumer electronics. I was actually in a Walmart yesterday that has a grocery store in it. I mean, there were a lot of people in the Walmart. I should have taken a closer look at their carts to kind of figure out where they may be going. But here's the thing, Stacey. Here's what I worry about, not just retail, but consumer products, because, as you know, my wife works in consumer products. and We talk about this around the dinner table, which is everyone's trying to increase prices to the to the to the vendors. They've got higher labor costs, higher product, higher input costs, higher product costs, denim packaging, whatever it is. Now, at the same time, Walmart's going to be demanding price cuts from them. I mean, it feels like we've got this consumer products and retailer game of chicken, which is going to end very badly for one of them. And you're correct, because think about the ripple effects. It's not as if the spread between Walmart, what they're charging the customer and what they're paying the vendor is is really changed. It's that the vendor cost of of operating has gone way, way up. So how do you squeeze the vendors without the same thing happening to them, their operating margins coming down? So there's this massive ripple effect. And Walmart also is going to set the tone in the market, as Target has very aggressively. So everybody else has to follow. And meanwhile, again, your cost basis is not changing, but you're trying to move inventory by lowering end prices. And you're correct. This does not end well because the ripple effects through the chain, there has to be a push on vendors when perhaps they can afford it less now than at any time in recent history. You wonder if shares of a P&G or a Unilever or a Le- you know, Levi's or whatever it is may come down today on that news. The retailers are. Stacy. really appreciate your views. Absolutely. Big story. Stacy. thank you very much. See you, Brian. All right, up next, the top seven cities that Americans really want to move to, and they all have one thing in common, the names and the cities. Ahead. Time now for your morning RBI, the most random but interesting thing you might hear all day, CNBC style. And today it's about moving and real estate and kind of about energy, too. Let's explain. All right. First, Redfin is out with a new report showing where people want to leave and also where they want to go. We're going to get to that in one second. But here's the big headline from their report. Redfin shows a stunning 32% of their users may be looking to move cities or even states. Now, I know it's a real estate website, so you're thinking of... Of course they do. That's why they're on the site. They want to move. But it's not that simple. A 32% number is not only well above pre-pandemic levels, but also shows more how people want to make big moves, change cities, change states, and not just get a different home near where they may already live. So where are they coming from and where do they want to go? Well, let us show you. Redfin data shows that the top cities people are leaving or want to leave based on traffic on their website data Detroit, Boston, Seattle, D.C., New York, L.A., and San Francisco. And why not? Most of those are very expensive, with the average home price around San Francisco at $1.5 million. 
Oh, by the way, most of those areas also had extended COVID lockdowns and school closures, even after much of the rest of the country had already opened back up or never shut down to begin with. So where do those Redfin users want to move to? Well, see if you can spot a trend here. The top seven in reverse order, San Diego, go Chargers, Cape Coral, Florida, Las Vegas, Sacramento, Phoenix, Tampa, and number one, Miami. Miami's becoming like the new New York, only warmer and with more rollerblading. All right, so two are in California, three in Florida, then you got Phoenix. Hmm, what might they all have in common? Oh, yes, they're all warm all year. Oh, and they're actually hot much of the year. Why don't we bring that up? Because if these cities keep seeing a bunch of people and businesses move there, they're going to need a lot more energy to run all that air conditioning. In other words, maybe take a look at that real estate data, which is random but interesting, and bet on power production and maybe power lines because we are going to need it all. Nuclear, anybody? Wax is back. Right after All right, welcome back. I know it's the summer. we got a busy day ahead. Three economic reports of note are out. The May S&BK Schiller Home Price Index at 9 a.m. That's going to be a big one. Talk about real estate, followed by the new home sales number and July Consumer Confidence, all out at 10 a.m. Big windows into the consumer. The Fed kicking off its policy meeting today. Their rate decision is tomorrow. And half of the market cap of the S&P 500 is going to unveil their earnings this week. Half the market cap. GM, GE, Coke, 3M, Alphabet, Microsoft, they're all just today, by the way, to name a few. All right, I'm already tired just talking about it. Let's talk more now about these markets longer term and bringing Robert Teeter, Managing Director at Silvercrest Asset Management, Aaron Gibbs, Chief Investment Officer at Main Street Asset Management for a rare market panel here on WEX. Aaron, what's top of mind for you, not today, but for the rest of the year, next year, what's the most important thing you are advising your clients to watch for? Uh, So the absolute most important thing right now is looking at the commodities and that trend and what it implies for the stock market. We've seen a massive decline um, across the board in a lot of the commodities, but when looking ahead in their futures, looking at almost a 40% decline in futures over the next 10 months in prices. That's a big decline and and very abnormal to see that their prices are are predicting a 40% decline. So one that says that inflation, at least from the commodity side, is really going to alleviate a lot of pressure. I mean, the Fed could change their tactics a little earlier than we're expecting as of next year. Um, And this also means that that tends to be very good for for technology stocks um, who have been really beaten down. And so Mm. we've already seen a slight upturn in the past three weeks. But I'm basically saying be ready to change, be ready to turn on a target. Value has had its run for the past six months. We may need to change tack rather quickly. Yeah, maybe companies, they, you know, in tough times, they invest in software and productivity because they can't find people. Robert, I'll ask you the same question. What is the most important thing to you? Is it also inflation? Well, inflation is always the most important thing in this current environment that we're in. But I think we're going through a very big transition here. And you're seeing that in the two different messages we're getting from the bond market. Uh, With yields coming down a bit, you could take that signal either to mean inflation is peaking 
uh, which is what some predictions are showing and what some of the forward Fed forecasts are, are looking at if you look at uh, rate hikes ending towards the end of this year. Or you can take the message that the economy is going into recession. Um, I don't think it's quite that bad. There's certainly economic slowing. But the answer will come this week when we get earnings. And we saw in first quarter weak economic growth, strong earnings. We're starting to see the same thing this quarter. We're only partway through earnings season. And as you know, this week will be a big week. So inflation is always the most important thing currently. Uh, but earnings are a really close second here. So these earnings report this week will be critically important. I'll back at you again, Robert. Are there any earnings reports that you're watching more closely than others? Is it sort of a macro trend on how everyone is doing? Or are you saying, okay, that name, that stock, that company, they're sort of the, the harbinger of what's to come? Maybe Walmart today. Yeah, I mean, Walmart was certainly an interesting report. Two signals in that report, right? You have one with the lower income consumer shifting consumption patterns. That's something that puts you on a little bit of an alert for the economy. Um, but the other being them talking about inventory buildup and price cuts, and that's healthy for the inflation debate. So uh, in my mind, it's the macro picture in terms of overall earnings, but really a lot of the nuance that you get out of the reporting and what you're hearing from companies, how they're navigating this environment. And if they're continuing to navigate it the way they did in first quarter, which was with a relatively weak economy as far as top line GDP, but still strong earnings. And I think those earnings coming through uh, will be a little bit of fuel for the second half here. And I want to end the show, Aaron. It's early on a positive note. And I guess the positive is that, yeah, Dow futures are down 130. But given that Walmart is down 9% and is on pace to lose $20 billion in market value, it's responsible for 80 points of that 130 uh, what is Walmart telling you? And should we find some solace in the fact that it, it doesn't at least appear right now at this hour to be, you know, kneecapping the entire market? Yeah, well, we've known that consumer discretionary has been one of the most vulnerable, particularly in periods of high inflation. And it doesn't look like it's going inflation is is going to really relax in the next couple months. So, um, you know, you have to be very cautious when looking at any of the consumer discretionary. And, and I think, you know, anybody that focuses on staples, they're going to be the ones that are vulnerable. So I think as, as the market as a whole, when you, you've got to pick the right sectors, the right industries and the right stocks. Uh, and that's what it's saying is we understand that certain companies are going to get hit much harder than others. Like an Aspen tech. I wish I was an Aspen. It's beautiful in the summer. Aspen Technologies, Aaron. Yeah. So that's one of my picks. Um, I'm looking sort of down the food chain more in the mid caps. Aspen Technology, um, it's a business enterprise. It handles optimization of business assets. So all about getting more efficient, uh, becoming more productive. Uh, they've had a great run up this year. Um, the stock's come down a little in the past couple months. I think that this is actually a really good entry point to get back into. And again, like I said, these types of technology stocks do well as commodities are coming down in the macro environment. So just a really good company that yep. has been bucking the trend. I like it. A name to end the show. A little optimism longer term. Aaron Gibbs, Robert Teeter, great discussion. Thank you both for getting up early for WEX. We appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, folks. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We're going to start prepping for tomorrow's show right now. We don't sleep because you don't sleep. Thanks for getting up with us here. Squawk Box for next. We're going to see you tomorrow. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 